Caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or a child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Brady Purcell, on the Accidental Care Partners podcast as I bring you information and practical tips for caregiving that have been gleaned from more than 20 years working with family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next few minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there, I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. Today's show is all about caring for someone with a terminal illness. I'm so glad you've decided to listen in. You might be wondering what the difference is between caring for someone with a chronic disease versus caring for someone with a terminal illness. So let's start there. If you've listened to episodes one or zero, you know that my mother had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD for short, but it was not yet in the end stage. Caring for her over the last several years looked very different than the care she received in the last 50 days of her life when she did, in fact, have a terminal illness. The chronic disease, COPD, demanded multiple healthcare providers, including her primary care physician and her pulmonologist, who was the one to manage her care related to the COPD. But she also had a cardiologist for heart and circulation issues, and naturally she had a gynecologist for any female-related things. But a neurosurgeon and a radio-oncologist were added to her team of healthcare professionals when she showed signs of a new illness, which was diagnosed as metastatic brain cancer. She could have easily gone into a terminal state of health if her COPD had progressed to its natural end. But in her case, the change in diagnosis is what moved her from being someone with a chronic disease to someone with a terminal disease. But even if she had died from end-stage COPD, her needs would have been very different at the end of life than her needs had been during the progression of the disease. When someone is battling a chronic disease, it can last for years. And during this time, pain management, otherwise known as palliative care, may become a standard part of their care. But when the chronic disease has progressed to end-stage or the terminal stage, the options begin to narrow. Doctors usually present this news by saying there are no other treatments to consider. And sometimes, even when there are aggressive treatments to consider, the patient will decide to forego additional treatments and just enjoy the remainder of his life as best as possible, choosing quality of life over quantity of days. Generally, physicians will recommend hospice care, when it is clear that the disease is progressing and the physician thinks there is only a short time left to live. Often the term six months or less is used, but that is not a death sentence. Nobody knows exactly when or how life will end. So it's simply an educated guess to provide the patient and the family time to prepare for the transition. And that phrase is simply the wording needed to communicate with Medicare and other insurance providers that end-of-life care is now needed. When I hear about a terminal diagnosis, I think about whether the care receiver wants to receive palliative care or to begin hospice care. I've included the end-of-life booklet published by the National Institute of Health and the National Institute on Aging in the show notes, in case you want to read the book in its entirety. 
but I want to give you a brief summary of the comparisons between palliative and hospice care. Both hospice and palliative care use an interdisciplinary team approach to providing pain management and both strive to relieve pain and suffering. I recently read an article in the Hospice News that had a quote by Ira Biok, MD, who is the founder and chief medical officer of the Institute for Human Care. His quote is from a speech he gave at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization Interdisciplinary Conference. He explained that hospice is focused on well-being through the very end of life, and hospice providers provide the best care possible for living as fully as possible among the people who matter most to us through the end of life. Hospice provides the best care possible to help people live fully and die well. The main difference between palliative care and hospice care is the ability to pursue aggressive treatment. However, you should also know that if your loved one is receiving hospice services but decides he wants to try a new treatment, he can do so, but he must inform his hospice provider of his plan before going for treatment. The hospice nurse case manager will help make this a seamless transfer if she knows the care receiver's intention to seek treatment. Once treatment is completed, the care receiver can opt in for hospice care again as long as he continues to meet the eligibility criteria. Now, I want to make sure you understand that if the care receiver lives beyond that initial expected six months, he can remain on hospice care as long as he continues to meet the eligibility criteria. And this generally means that there are continued signs of the disease progression. When your loved one has received that devastating news and it looks as if time is getting more precious each day, talk to his physician about the choice between palliative or hospice care. In the case of my mother, neither the neurosurgeon nor the radio-oncologist mentioned hospice as an option until after mom had undergone the radiotherapy research protocol. By the time she was referred to hospice, She had declined so much that she was beyond the window of help. She was on hospice 11 days, but she never really got the benefit of all that hospice could have provided her. I wish I had known then what I know now about hospice, and I would have pushed a little harder for it to happen a little sooner. But another thing I think about when I hear someone has a terminal illness is I think that the family now knows that time is short and that the ill person and the family have been given the opportunity to get things in order. Of course, getting things in order has a vast range. It can mean getting the will and the advanced directives completed so that the care team really understands what end-of-life wishes are. And in a previous episode, I discussed the five wishes, and I have put that on the website and in the show notes so you can find that resource. But it could also entail writing letters to family members that would be distributed after the death of the loved one. All of these activities have purpose, and they can be very meaningful to all involved. Even if you're just helping them get this done, the sense of relief that they feel and that you feel at having helped them accomplish it is really priceless. I found that the letter writing idea often receives mixed reviews. But I do encourage patients to write letters, especially if they will miss important life events, 
such as graduations or weddings, maybe in their children or grandchildren, anniversaries, especially if there's a big one like the 50th or the 60th looming, and they know that they won't be there for that. And I even think about births of their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren. Letters to those family members will be of immeasurable worth after the loved one is gone. I do use the term writing rather loosely because there are so many ways to write today, especially with the use of audio and video. But if an honest paper and pen letter is preferred, the letter can be dictated and written by someone other than the author if he or she is no longer able to accomplish that task. The important thing is for the care receiver to have the opportunity to tell his or her family members whatever they deem to be important. They can have bits of wit and wisdom to impart, or they may simply want to remind those they love of their fondest memories of a life well lived. I want to tell you a story about one of my favorite patients. He was a very bright, articulate man who had lived a rather exciting, fascinating life. And he had often communicated over the years to his family through poetry, letters, and short stories. So as he began the final descent, he chose to write a poem to his wife and children. It was humorous, yet serious, as he recounted favorite memories and ended with his hopes and dreams for those who would be leaving behind. The family appreciated his farewell address so much that they included it as part of his funeral service. I'll end with a quote from Ed Bannock, who's the president and CEO of the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, who recently had this to say. If anyone had any doubt about whether or not hospice and palliative care is essential, I think that doubt has been wiped out through all of this pandemic. It has been incredibly clear to me, and I think to a lot of people that have been paying attention, that the person and family-centered care that we provide is necessary. It's important and it's essential. We need more of it within our healthcare landscape. The value of the interdisciplinary care team, which is the hallmark of hospice and will be the hallmark of community-based palliative care, is becoming acknowledged, and I think that is here to stay. I do hope so, and I also hope today's show has helped clarify the progression from having a chronic disease to having a terminal disease and the options for pain management, which are provided by both palliative medicine and hospice care. The care receiver can continue to seek aggressive treatments for life-limiting conditions while receiving palliative care. Hospice care is provided in place of aggressive treatment. Both palliative and hospice care can be provided at home, in assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and the hospital. And some hospice companies also have inpatient facilities just for hospice care. I encourage you to help your loved one to make an informed decision when the doctor says there's nothing else to be done. It will help you as the caregiver 
as much as it will help your loved one to have an entire team made up of nurses, social workers, chaplains, and volunteers to share the load and to support you as your loved one faces the end of life. And hospice will provide aftercare bereavement support services to help you transition back to living without the responsibilities of providing care. If you found the information to be helpful, please share it with others and check out the show notes for the sources and possible resources related to today's episode. And you can always go to our website, which is the AccidentalCarePartners.com website for additional tips and tools. But if you have questions or comments, please email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can. But until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is hard, so please be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.